This following episode contains spoilers for the film or films being discussed. You have been warned. remember the big moments in the movies we see, the big set pieces, the famous dialogue, the twists, the naked times. But film is an entity made up of hundreds of little moments that either make them special or relegate them to obscurity. We are here to talk about those moments. Welcome to Movie Microscope. Kick it, Movie Microscope. Today's episode is The Brood. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest movie, Microscope. My name is Nick Nunziata, and I'm your gracious host. Alongside of me, the existential, maniacal, pimple-assed, uh, sweltering, sweet-hearted candy man, none other than Justin Waddell himself. Justin, how's it going? I mean, it's going okay. I'm on vacation. Kind of a working vacation. I'm only taking half the week off, but we're here. We're in Indiana. The Wi-Fi password is 2429 Owl Creek, in case you guys wanted to, uh, it's a little little secret little secret sauce for you you know so they have apparently they have frogs in indiana <laughs> i'm out i'm in the screen the screen porch and they said that one of the rental agreements uh, part of the rental agreements you can't do a podcast inside the house i said well i'm with the movie microscope and they said you guys just did burns month right i said yeah they said no exceptions and then you noticed a double charge in your credit card <laughs> so anyway you're gonna hear some creepers i know we've, we've recorded a couple instances where you're outside and you hear the creepers yeah, but now it's my turn. I, I sacrificed my fun for the listeners by coming inside. <laughs> don't hate. I can't go inside. My family's trying to sleep. My kids don't know what I do. They don't know the podcast. Well, you I want them to love you. That's why. I haven't I haven't told them about it yet. I kind of did. I, they know about it. How long of a drive was it? I mean, it was a long time in the car. It's usually, it takes you about seven hours, but we have a dog and young children. So it took us longer. And traffic. Took us a good 10 hours to get here. Oof. Yeah, we rented a minivan. I've got a a four-hour drive, or I'm sorry, a five-hour drive ahead of me in the morning. You you do. Where are you going? Charleston. Oh, wow. Great food, great scenery, and if you take a little trip in the Wayback Machine, great slavery. I know what that means when you say a place has great food. What? There's a a Hardee's there. I was about to say Denny's is, is my jam. I was eyeing a Denny's on the way up. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I kind of forgot about Denny's. When's the last time? It's been an age. How's their COVID, you think? <laughs> I think they just toughed it out. I think they were very mystified that nobody wanted to door dash that shit to their house. They had an item on that menu called the uh, Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruity. And my friends used to call it the Rudy Tooty Suck and Screw Me. <laughs> well, that's a classic yeah also known for their grand slam feature which comes with eggs bacon hash browns a baseball bat a ball a field an umpire (laughs) this is from memory and soup it's an expensive item anyway denny's was always kind of fun put whipped cream on everything 
put whipped cream on sausage. You know, don't need it, but they they're do. They're part it. of a large chain. Have you ever gone to their upscale restaurant? Uh-uh. Dennis's? <laughs> it's quite good. <laughs> I have not, not been, not had the chance. They have the Rudy Tootie Shark Trudy. I feel like we have to get to Denny soon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I have been to an IHOP lately, which is similar to Denny's. So was uh, Paul McCartney's ex-wife. <laughs> Recently at an IHOP. Everywhere she goes. <laughs> what was her name? Uh, dead. Not, no, no. Uh, Amy? I don't know. Not Linda. There's after Linda. She, she kind of took McCartney for a ride. Poor McCartney. Fell in love. He fell in love. They had it sometimes, and then she took a fortune with her. She to- totally left with a fortune, yeah. yeah. He gave her the rights to the girl is mine. I think that was the agreement. But you, he, but you, can't, but you can't have my brave face. He, uh, he, he played her his uh, 9-11 song, and she was out of there. She's yeah. like, I think this is over. Remember Freedom? I don't. His big hit, his big 9-11 hit. He's talking about freedom. Well... You got the right fi- to fight for freedom. I, I They leaked testimony from the divorce proceedings, and mm-hmm. she said, before I met Paul, I didn't have a leg to stand on. So she got paid out. I don't know. She lost her leg in a car accident, correct? I have no idea. I don't care. Um, but she was, I think she was a landmine, at, like, a landmine um, like a person that, I don't know what they call. Advocate? They fight. I don't think it's a landmine advocate. <laughs> That's she's what I pro, wanted to say. She's pro landmine. Um, she yeah. was fighting hard for the removal of landmines. Yeah. So one would assume that maybe that's what led to her um, losing her limb, but I think that's not the case. And that's why McCartney recorded "The Land Is Mine." <laughs> A little twist. That was his candle in the wind. You know, he just kept retooling yeah. it for different injuries. She does yoga a lot, but I mean, does it really count? Naturally, it just goes into yoga. Yeah. Wish we to remember her name. We, I feel like we're getting old because we used to kind of bring this up and we'd know her name. Her favorite pose is downward porpoise. <laughs> you looking her up? I'm typing McCartney, wife, one leg. Her name was Mills. Heather, Mil- uh, Heather Mills. Heather Mills. Heather, Heather, Heather Mills, that's right. Heather Mills, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, with one, that's with one L. M-I-L-S. She was knocked over by a police motorcycle, and that's how she lo- lost her uh, kicker. Sting or one of the other guys? I think it was Stuart Copeland. So uh, uh, you, you revealed something to me. I know we've been yapping about Paul McCartney, who had a new album out recently. It got a lot of praise, by the way. His latest stuff has had some of the most amazing production on it I've ever heard in, in music before. So you've listened to it. You've put, you, you partook. Yeah, yeah they, they really, it, it is so well produced. I mean, the music's fine, yeah. Yeah. but it, I was just so impressed with what they did as far as the sound design on those yeah. records. But anyway, you were getting into something and I interrupted you. So you revealed to me before we started recording, which I wish we were recording, that of all the movies that you could be watching right now, you were enjoying blood spot or what was it called blood bloodshot bloodshot and by enjoying i'm like 25 30 minutes in and i am perfectly satisfied with what i'm watching how's vin is he is he engaged he's actually the high point so far 
is he charming? Like, cause he's, he seems to be on autopilot in this fast. He's, he's actually quite good so far. Now, granted he's, be, he's now he's been turned into a killing machine. Yeah. And I'm sure the personality is going to take a blow. And there is a very unconvincing sex scene early on in the movie. But other than that, who yeah, is really, a, who's a, else is in this movie? Didn't Guy get... Pierce, Toby Kebble, uh, Eliza Gonzalez, and Baby Driver. Yeah. And then, uh, and that's about it. It's good. Directed, uh, you know, by, directed by, uh, I think it was, was it Francis Ford Coppola? Yeah, I think he did come back for that. Oh, guess who was denouncing superhero films? Uh, James Gunn? <laughs> he, yes, he was. Also, Stephen Dorff out there. Uh, Dave Wilson. A... Dave Wilson directed, of course, Dave oh, Wilson. Dave Wilson. So that's a good segue to actually share with, with the uh, listeners our, our screen names. Yeah, it's true. We always do screen names for because we're zooming this, obviously, or well, not we're, zooming it. Yeah, we're, we're we're using an online interface. You don't want to say the name, and we always come, we use the Squadcast. We come up with little fun names for ourselves every episode. Right, and yours is better than mine. I I don't as usual. I, I don't think so. But oh, mine is. We're doing David Cronenberg's 1979 movie, The Brood, today. Mine is Brood. Where's my car? Nick went with Stephen Dwarf with two F's. <laughs> so, and that's funny because I, I I wasn't bringing up Stephen Dwarf because of that name, but here here's what I was saying about it. He was slamming Marvel. How could Lamagra himself slam Marvel? Saying that it's an he's embarrassed for Scarlett Johansson. Not this is before the lawsuit that she recently leveled at Disney, but was embarrassed for her. And then somebody put up a poster of him in some like super low budget superhero movie that he did like three years ago. But I mean, Stephen Dorff, look, I like him. Maybe don't interview him. You know what I'm saying? Let's just let him be on the screen. We don't need yeah. to talk to him. Only people like Matt Damon should be interviewed. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but uh, change his hair for that movie, though. I can't wait. I'm seeing it soon. I'm you seeing see Stillwater? I have to. I think it. Uh, you know, Amanda Knox took a, yeah, took a, took yeah. a lash. You know, lash. Uh, she basically, and rightfully so, was angry about it. Yeah, one thing you could always say about me is I really care about what Amanda Knox has to say. Hey, Foxy Noxy, as they called her, and you know that's not right. You know, the media really turned her into something that she isn't. That's what that's what the point she's trying to make. And now they're profiting off of her story. Well, that motherfucker I mean, better learn how to use the doorbell. Anyway, so let's. I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we're really, we're really discussing, discussing uh, the latest movie news, Nick. That's not what we do on the show. Some hot gosh, yeah. So no, it's, it's we do the movie microscope, guys. It's a show where we zoom in. We watch your film through bearded eyes and scuttlebutt ourselves through the room, touching what what may be an object and what may not. Watch a film through serpendicular eyes and chastise the wetness until we find ourselves embroiled in the truth. Watch a movie with a set of hair spin eyes and look at each other through the darkness and wonder what makes or breaks. Share with the likes of you. So if we're talking about the family stone, I'm talking about the scene where Oliver tells Sharon to kiss his peepee and she does right in front of Christopher. Talk about the little moments. There's a dick load of those in today's film, The Brood. So many movie I have not seen, had not seen before this weekend where I watched it during the day and it was a mistake. Because it's grosser during the day. <laughs> it is uh, already an uncomfortable film, but watching it 
with the brights on, with the sun peeking in, makes it all the weirder. I pitched a male remake of that movie Angel from the 80s, and the tagline was grosser by day, hooker by night. Never got made. Uh, by the way, well, I think you saw it at the right time. I watched it during the daytime as well. Daytime is a perfect time to watch it because you're that, familiar with this film, though. You, I've seen, you've it seen it several times over the years. Yeah, mm-hmm. but daytime it's harder to fall asleep watching a movie during the daytime. <laughs> you think this movie takes its time? The brood's slow, and it's not even that it's slow. It's not that long of a movie. Mm-hmm. It's just leaden in its pacing. You know, it's only it's only ninety two minutes long. It's dripping with dread, Nick. It's dripping yeah. with dread. Think so? The human condition. It really is. What's yeah? Is that the theme? You know, we start. Really, really takes. Really takes a jeweler's lens to marriage, divorce, child rearing, having right. rage babies. Yeah. Really gets in there and sifts around and sorts it out. It pokes its surgical finger into the buttocks of the family dynamic and really <laughs> works it around a little bit. Stimulates the uh, the anal glands. Touches touches a beaked dwarf in the process. I do not think that Cronenberg, if he had heard that, would disagree with what you just said. He'd probably be flattered. Cronenberg, though, has taken issue with critics that we've known in our time. Oh, that's right. One of them is in jail, right? One of those critics is in jail, yes. I like that you call that person a critic. He was, I guess. He published I think he published that review somewhere. Yeah, but Cronenberg read it. Anybody can publish a review in today's day and age. He had he took issue with uh, the amount of uh, scrotum that you could see, and uh, history or not history violence. It was in Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises. He really made a lot about that naked fight scene, which is a great scene. Cronenberg is one of those filmmakers who I can't believe. First of all, that we haven't done any of his films yet, but we'll get there. We're doing them all. We're doing all the movies. Mm-hmm. One of the great, 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 great uh, filmmakers in, in the genre and out. Uh, always interesting. Sometimes a hard watch. But knowing that he's out there is just thrilling. And he's made some big ones in his day. And he's made some not so big ones. But this movie was actually one of the catalysts towards getting him global recognition. Zoom in. A Canadian filmmaker. (laughs) The spectacle. A Uh, tall drink of water. Sometimes actor. David Cronenberg. Gets a lot of praise for making genre films early in his career that they weren't just a stepping stone to bigger things. He was really making great genre films on the on these low budgets. And this is his first, I think, that had a somewhat recognizable cast. And I ain't talking about Art Hindle. <laughs> talking about Oliver Reed, my friend. And Samantha Egger, I guess, also yep, yep. known back in the day. Big features on David Cronenberg. <laughs> like one of them spinning image puppets. <laughs> kind of a, a handsome, kind of a Early gray, great hair man, right? Like he always kind of had that shock of gray in his hair. Always looked scholarly. He always think of him from Nightbreed. Played a, pi- a super creep. Decker, yeah. A pioneer in body horror. A man very heavily involved in uh, Canada's film movement. Tries his damnedest to get everything made there. Uh, he's been just a big a big key in that, in that country's uh, film history, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of his films... And there have been quite a few. There have been some major standouts. If you were to pick like two or three of his best stuff, what would you say? I mean, I mean, I love History of Violence, The Fly, 
Eastern Promises I love, but you're talking about even earlier than that? No, I mean, those are great. Those are all correct answers. I mean, some of his movies got me gross. You know? I put I put Dead Ringers, Dead Zone, and Videodrome, and Scanners, I think, to a lesser extent. But I think I think you're on to it. I think History of Violence, very mature work from him. Very uh, That's as close to mainstream as I think he's capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Flies a masterpiece. Dead Ringers may be his crowning achievement. You know, I haven't seen it for a long time. A long time. Who was the... The the actress in that movie, the love, I guess the love interest. Oh, Who was that, yeah, it was that freaking girl looks like, like Genevieve Bujold looking girl. Who was uh, it? Uh, she has a name. Uh, uh, Genevieve. It was Genevieve Bujold. <laughs> She's in that. Yeah. Oh, Genevieve Bujold from Coma, and well, from she's also in Last Night with Cronenberg, uh, one of my favorite movies, Don McKellar movie. Yeah, and uh, and Mike just made a movie about her. Which is cool. Let me see. I'm looking up David Cronenberg's height. How tall is he? Believe it or not, only five foot nine. Nick. That's he read. He reads tall. He does. He's shorter than you think. I mean, I, I would have put him up to towards seven foot. <laughs> no, I thought he was like a Carol Strucken. So this is your first interaction with the Brood. It's probably my fifth. It's one of those movies that I loved. And owned in almost every format, if not every format, and right. don't understand why because it's so unre- it's not rewatchable in the least. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a tough sit. It's a Criterion movie, which I watched it on Criterion, and it was funny. They have his first film as mm-hmm. a special feature on there. Which is what is his first film? His one hour long feature length film called Crimes of the Future, which he is actually remaking. Oh, that's right. Well, he, he actually be called Stereo right before that, but Crimes of the Future he's remaking. Right around the same time of this movie, he did a racing movie, which yeah, I can't remember the title of Fast it. But like he, I mean, a lot of people think that's the strangest film because <laughs> it's just so unlike him. But yeah, I mean, this kind of this well, was, that this features was... the, re- the recently dead, the recently dead William Smith in that, and the recently dead John Saxon. Oh, so John Saxon was in that. Wow! But this this movie dead. William yeah, Smith died this year. Saxon died last year. But this movie, The Brood, came hot on the heels of Rabid, another movie I haven't seen. And before that, was it Shivers? Yeah. Is that right? Which I haven't seen either. You might call into question my my uh, credentials as a uh, podcaster of movies. Nope. But yeah, I missed a lot of the early Cronenberg movies. I, I apologize. I need to catch up. What do you think of Rabid? What do you think of Shivers? Substandard. Even Rabid? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Wanted to cast Sissy Spacek in that in that role, and they said, no, 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 no. She won't be nothing. He dodged a bullet there. She sucks. You don't like Spacek? He got Marilyn Chambers. I know. Loves to be naked. You don't like Spacek, huh? I don't like Spacek, no. Zoom in. The only actress ever named Sissy. No other one in the history of true. movies. The only Who else? Sissy Tyson. <laughs> I stand corrected. We're t- we were tight. Marilyn Chambers died. Everybody's dead. Had a good name, Marilyn Chambers. That's a great name. It's a good porn star name, I imagine. It's well, especially short... if she's doing double anal or something. No, I'm just saying that that oh. throws you for a curve. Chambers sounds medieval, you know. What's the premise of the brood? If you were to encapsulate it, I didn't catch it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll just give you one word: psychoplasmics. <laughs> of course, psychoplasmics is a trendy. Uh, I guess. Pseudo therapy sweeping Toronto, I don't know, Canada at large. And uh, this dude, 
it's already horrible is going through his divorce his wife is getting treated there i think they're getting divorced did they ever say they're getting a divorce yes or are they trying to make the marriage work anyway i think they're going through a divorce cronenberg was going through a divorce when he made this movie or at least he based on his divorce the wife is uh in these therapy sessions and he is uh, parenting his five-year-old daughter who sometimes visits this wife who is cut off from everybody else. She can't visit. No other family members can see her. But one day, daddy goes to pick up his daughter. Uh-oh. Yep. She, got a, she got a bruised back. She has been abused. And he thinks has to be the wife because his wife was abused as well as a child. So he wants to see her to confront. It's just like a big old... You know, trying to get to see her. Oliver Reed, the, the, this this doctor, won't let him see her. It's going to disturb the therapy if he sees her. And so that's how the movie kicks off, is kind of these warring two sides of a, of a broken marriage, one side producing rage babies. Now, psychoplasmics is, is a term that Cronenberg came up with. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's he had just gone through an awful divorce. This is all in your mm-hmm. IMDb trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, Nailed it. And he, uh, he, there's another comment quote from him about the making of the film he says it's his version of kramer versus kramer except more right. realistic which is great um now, do you think his uh, ex-wife when she saw the film do you think she was pleased i think she's like you know this is this guy this got me in a good light thanks dc you know yeah i'm not gonna argue it I mean, certainly the the guy in this that's very simple. You know, everybody is a little sympathetic in this. I will say, but certainly the main character, Frank Carveth, played by Art no, Hindle. Okay. Now let's go. Is that his name? So, is that his yeah, name? So, so Cronenberg, though, he's always known for the names of his characters. There's a certain certain Cronenbergian way that he names his characters, and oh, this movie is a perfect like stomping ground of some great names. You got Hal Raglan, Nola Carveth, Frank Carveth. You got Mike Trellin. That is the most Cronenberg name. But Jan Hartog is right up there as well. And his daughter, the daughter, of course. Candace uh, Carveth. Candace, but they call her Candy. They fighting over Candy, Nick, in this film. I can relate. Anyway, so the movie kicks off uh, where our main character is sitting in on a, uh, a weird therapy session. It's ridiculous. And Oliver Reed is um, this Dr. Raglan is administering this therapy to a total weirdo. <laughs> Gary breaks- McKeon, who is no longer amongst the living, as Mike Trellin. And this guy, he's got that Pruitt-Taylor Vince thing going on with his eyes. He's got the wild hair. Everybody in this movie got that 70s hair, bro. I mean, it's it's wild. This, is, this may be the most 70s movie ever made. It and, is so uh, 70s in every frame of its existence. Yeah, just on the tip of the... the the ass end of the 70s here. Everybody's wearing the big coats, scarves, got the wild hair, permed hair. Wood paneling out the ASS. Mm-hmm. A lot of beige. Yeah. A lot of white scarves. A lot of macrame. You know, there's there's stuff. There's, there's a lot of like. Another big clue mm-hmm. that it's the 70s. That's the only period of history that Art Hindle could have existed <laughs> as an actor. He is so 70s. So anyway, uh, he sits on, on a therapy session. What's happening is this guy's got some major daddy issues that Oliver Reed always does the role play. That's I guess that's psychoplasmics. He does some kind of, I guess, a form of maybe some kind of hypnotism. I don't know, some kind of suggestion where he's role playing with these people in front of an audience in this case. 
And then the target of this therapy starts to break out in weird body horror hives <laughs> and, you know, strips in front of everybody uh, in front of everybody. And, um, you know, he has daddy issues that that is for certain. Right. He needs to be loved by daddy. Yeah. And, and in uh, this case, Oliver Reed is portraying daddy. He is. And uh, Oliver Reed's being very harsh. I don't understand this therapy. It seems like it's pretty bad. And certainly, I, if I was in the audience, uh, you know, and I, I guess I was, I, I, I would have thought that I watched something very strange and would have left unhappy. To, to the credit of the Soma Free Institute of Psychoplasmics, their auditorium is, has like nine people in it. There's more. Not really. It doesn't look too densely packed. Man, it's not like a 300 seat, uh, you know, 300 seat uh, audience or whatever. Yeah, but. no, they're, they're not at Red Rocks, you know. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no opening band for this therapy session, was there? No, I think there. Anyway, so uh, you know, you know, this is a weird way to kick off a movie. Anyway, the, our main character goes to collect his daughter, who's there. And Scatter she sort has, of starts the same way, if you think about it. A little demonstration, this, a little audience. Does does scanners? One of the characters pick up a Happy Days lunchbox. <laughs> Sadly, that's what, no. That's what Candy's handed whenever she leaves. <laughs> that's like a subtle, a subtle reference that Happy Days mm -hmm. are to come in the in this film. Oh yeah, for sure. Everybody leaves happy. She and the teacher there, who is this? I guess she's. I, I mean, does he go pick up the? He picks up the kid. Yeah, and so then he he sees the the kid has bru a bruised back, and that's when he goes to confront. Oliver Reed and he's like with accusations. That's what our main character and a he's clutching a fluffy coat, a very warm looking coat. And you have to be wearing that kind of winter wear in, or in, 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 in Toronto, I imagine. But he's got that under arm. It's got to be heavy. It's got to be taxing to carry around this big coat. But he's hurling accusations at Oliver Reed, um, who just got out of the shower, it looks like. So he is wearing the ultimate kung fu bathroom in this scene. Yeah, it is a it is a bathrobe that William L. Peterson would lose his shit over. He's got a fluffy yellow towel around his neck, but he's got. The, if you look at the bathroom, it looks like a gi. Mm -hmm. And the idea of Oliver Reed in a gi is something to behold. And there's something I noticed about Oliver Reed watching this movie that had never connected with me because I've seen him mm -hmm. a billion times, including the CGI dead version of him in Gladiator. Um, and there's something that I just realized today or mm -hmm. yesterday. He has a face like somebody else we've had on the show recently that looks like it's supposed to be bearded, but it's not. Yeah. yeah and I think sometimes is bearded, but in this, he's got mustachioed, that mustachioed, mustachioed at least. What do you, what I think we've talked about this before. What do you call that strip between your nose and your mouth? The little curve thing. Is that the, is that the carpenter's triangle? What is that? The, the wind whipped soldier? The the Brimley Bunt, maybe that's it. Is it the Delivery Man's handshake? There's a name for it. The Man Candle, is that it? The Government Fist. There's a name for it, and and he's got a long one. His goes on for a long time. He looks like permanent. The mid, the, the, beast, the mid dip, the mid the mid lip dip. Yeah, there is a name for that, and it's scientific. And who who knows what it is? I mean, I'm sure majority listening to it screaming at the podcast. I love the fact that things have like medical terms associated with parts of the body. Like we've talked about this before. It's called the philtrum philtrum. You know, it's funny. I just typed Oliver Reed mouth and it said philtrum, man. <laughs> he got a long one, huh? He's got a long one. He looks like beating the beast. He was rumored to have a long one and he, he was thrilled to hear it. 
And then everybody was talking about his philtrum. I mean, <laughs> boogers fall forever. <laughs> anyway, so after this meeting where Oliver Reed says, look, your wife is going through intense therapy. I, You can't see her. You're going to disrupt my process. You're going to disrupt her progress. And um, our main character is like, all right, well, okay, that sucks, but I'm out. And then he takes, a, you know, the, the next day, this is when the, this, the school thing happens. This is when the Happy Days lunchbox happens. This is when the teacher um, is introduced. And Daddy is a little hot for teacher, Nick, in this scene. Yeah. He is thinking about moving on. Obviously, he's um, depressed about his life, but he's got a little eye for teach. He really She's does. kind of a cutie. She is. That's and Susan luckily Hogan. For, and look, luckily for him, I mean, she survives the film and they get married. You know, and she does. She does fine. Does not get killed in public. She doesn't get killed in her schoolroom in front of children or anything like that. So anyway, in this scene, she does. She says my catchphrase, which I found eerie. What's that? Um, I say it. I say it every night before bed. What's that? See you tomorrow, Candy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pat some sour patch kids. Give it a wave over my shoulder. See you tomorrow, Candy. And they're out. You know and. Um, you mentioned Oliver Reed's robe. He's robing throughout this movie. I mean, it's just not one scene. Right. It's just not two scenes. 17 scenes he's robing. Yeah. In it. Oliver Reed, uh, a beloved actor, Ken Russell staple, kind of shit in a lot of stuff, but you love that he, he lived. He lived a life. And so your daddy's got to work. I mean, come on. And he's got to drop off the kiddo sometimes when he's got to work. Uh, in a hard hat at a construction site, he's got to drop off candy with her grandma. Yeah. Who's um, another one who at the end of the film uh, has some pretty interesting <laughs> notes uh, for her, for her son-in-law. And, you know, grandma's babysitting. She's, she might be drinking a little bit, but you know, she's a fun grandma. You find out that she's also an abusive grandma and she, she hurt, uh, you know, Sue, uh, Samantha Edgar's character, the mommy, when she was little. But, you know, in this scene, you, we get to have a little time with her. She, she's like, I'll play with you after I refill my drink. But then something starts happening in her kitchen, Nick. Yeah, things starts going shit bonkers. It looks like a poltergeist is getting getting its kid off in there. I mean, milk is punched out of the refrigerator and then or the cabinet and then orange juice also punched out of the refrigerator and then they merged together the spilled milk and orange juice it's someone's going wild in there yeah and, and at this point you as an audience member who knows nothing about the brood is like whoa are they haunted yeah what's going are on they, how come someone's kicking ass in kitchen you know if you're going through your checklist of horror staples all right ghosts poltergeist phantoms warlocks gales ghosts wraiths you know could be any of it Football players, there's like all sorts of things it could be. But when she goes to investigate, she discovers what it really is. Because sitting at the top of the counter is a treat for her. It's a little tiny manifestation of her abused daughter. Kind of a, I don't know how you describe it. It just looks like a little dwarven creature, a little tiny creature. It's a parthogenetically created murder albino dwarf. In a parka. And it decides to uh, leap to an attack. And that's that sucks because, you know, what they say about you've heard the phrase. Yeah. Don't cry over spilled milk. Well, yeah. they also say don't die over spilled milk and orange juice mixed together. Okay. She decides <laughs> to not heed that rule. Right. Uh, and she gets 
kitchen maladed to death by this creature. It's a it's a it's a brutal beating. She does not yeah. take it well. You know, the meat tenderizer in me really enjoyed that scene. So it was a meat tenderizer. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. Everybody gets bludgeoned in this movie. They're always getting beaten to death. There, there's no other um, manner of death in this, except at the end, there's strangulation. And actually, actually, there's more than that. There's also gunshots. Super but the brood, the brood have a preferred method that they like to enact when they kill a person. And that is just find an object and beat a person with it to death. Yeah, and I there's a part of me later in that scene that wonders if she regretted choosing to babysit that evening. <laughs> she's like, she's looking at her day planner. It says, get slaughtered by a dwarf in the kitchen. I don't remember that. I don't remember Microsoft teams notifying me. <laughs> so then poor candy walks in on this mess. Isn't doesn't seem to be phased by it. Even sees the little creature peeking out of the staircase and then uh, goes to sleep. And right. The, and poli- the police find her. And she's super tired. And, you know, this girl actually on the Criterion Blu- uh, Blu-ray, they interview mm-hmm. the, the grown up version. Yeah. Uh, her, her name is Cindy Hines. No relation to Kieran, sadly. She's a little maybe a little older than us. Something. But we could have been friends. It could have been. If you like friends that have no emotions. Because the one thing I'll say about that that kid is she sucks. She has no presence, no emotions, and a lot of people die because of her. She sucks. A lot of people die because of her mama. Well, her mom is the, is the engine of that destruction. That's her mom. Candy has got nothing to do with it. Are you trying to tell me that the, the innocent daughter isn't the villain of this piece? And in fact, she's. I think that she's so shell-shocked by the divorce... And by all the emotions that are colliding within her, that uh, her performance as kind of a comatose zombie-like child is award-worthy. Okay. <laughs> Zoom in. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Though the cops do come, and our 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 square-headed hero Art Hindle has to retrieve her from the police. And there's some conversations being had. Now he's seen these bruises on the girl. He knows things are weird. Now, in, in a modern film, they would have had a subplot where everybody thinks he beats the child and there's a, a legal battle. But the, luckily, Cronenberg had no interest in that. There's, um, no, there's no there's no one ever accuses the dad of this of this abuse. They always are pointing fingers at mama. Art Hindle looks like Martin Sheen if he got touched by the life force alien. Did you see one of the items in the cabinet with a cereal called Shreddies? I did not. I is mean, it is Tony Hawk the spokesperson? I just thought that was a. I mean, I hope the grandma got a glimpse of that as she as she passed. That's not a bad final vision. She almost made an impromptu orange Julius on the floor. <laughs> she, she did. I like to ma- think as she as she was dying, she tasted that mixture and was like, "I never. Why I missed too many chances. I could have been mixing this together all along." Yeah, like her, her last sensation was creamsicle as the Reaper ushered her into the afterworld. It's pretty great. A little floor she, creamsicle for her. She later has an incredible chalk slash tape outline on the floor. It's incredible. An, ama- an amazing, an amazing chalk outline. It is. Uh, it is so half-assed. They made her out to be like a Roblox character or something. Like she is very square in that outline. Um, and it's not- in a different place than where she died. I it saw looked- that as well. Yeah, I guess maybe we were confused. I thought she died in the kitchen, but it says that she died like 
in the hallway outside the kitchen. I don't know what happened. My note uh, here says chalk outline hotter than the wife. <laughs> you talking about Samantha Edgar or the grandma? Because they're both kind of uh, handsome and pretty ladies. Samantha what are you talking Edgar about? Edgar is a nightmare person to look at. She got them big, beautiful eyes, but she uses them creepily. Yeah, okay. I mean she's licking, she's licking stuff at the end. She's licking her brood baby at the end. It's a little now, over the top. So what this does, this kickstarts the 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 kind of the plot, and I like the fact that it's it sort of gets to business rather quickly. Our hero Art Hindle, the square headed man, decides, okay, I've got a, there's something going on, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't, he doesn't realize that a killer dwarf is the problem yet. He's like, well, let me do that thing that everybody wants to see in a '70s film. Let me take a bunch of Polaroids of my topless daughter. <laughs> That's right, because he's yeah, and he takes an assortment and he lays uh, them out. Yeah, I know. He's like, all right, now he's like, wink at the camera, like you know, give me this come hither look. There, that girl is topless half this film. <laughs> Not creepy I mean, at all. Look, '70s man, it's more now affectionate she, time. Yeah, she hasn't reached womanhood. I'm not saying that she's she's gathered her flowers yet, but I'm saying it's still creepy weird. The dad is very, he's very, uh, wants to record. Like when I was a child, my mom, she tried to open a, a, a Coke bottle and it was like all like shook up in it. Like when she went to open it, it the bottle cap, I guess, blew out like a cork and, and, and cut her face. And she I remember her taking pictures of that. To, mm-hmm. to pass on to the Coke company. This is similar. In the 70s, they were documenting this kind of stuff. To me, like like I said, it's just a different time. You put Polaroids yeah. of this kind of stuff out there. Yeah. You take major major amounts of pictures of the same shot. Like, he, he the, the dad was like, he, when he laid out all the back shots that he took of his daughter, and there were like eight, there was barely a difference between, I don't know what he was going for. Did Cronenberg have to do a slow motion shot of him blowing the photos dry? Just made it hotter for me. His eyes were closed. He's blowing those naked daughter photos. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. She's five. I, I got to admit, I did try to bid in the Sotheby's auction for him. So who's the idiot? Uh, here's the thing I noticed about that scene that you, I noticed you were, <laughs> you were noticing that. She had a Sesame Street playset on the floor, which I always coveted when I was a kid. Do you remember those? No. It's like a collapsible, you know, couple buildings that you could not you know you you could fold it in and out and then you had all the character like the sesame street characters i may have had were, that actually. they're like I fisher price had... like versions of the sesame street was characters. it like very two-dimensional yeah of course this rings mm-hmm. a bell i think i had it and i think they were very stark like red and orange or red and blue or whatever um, and uh, it was do- it was dope and uh, i always loved it and i saw it on her floor and i was like you know as much as she's been beaten and abused and emotionally damaged from this divorce at least she got that Sesame Street playset. I'm looking at photos of it. You're right. It is dope. <laughs> that's the word. That's the word I would use to describe it. It had everybody. It had Oscar, and he, you know, he's hiding in his little can. It had Big Bird. Now, Big Bird looked. I will say, Big Bird looked fucked up in that set. But I mean, you're not. You're not buying it for Big Bird. Now I wonder now if you show Mr. Snuffleupagus to a child, how how bad the terrors would be. How night terror would they have? Holy shit, I'm looking at the toys. Holy shit, I remember I own these. Yeah, they're amazing. I, there is no way you didn't bite these toys. Of course I bite them. And who who did they who did it come with? They came with an assortment. The Ernie and Bert, obviously. The count? The, yeah, the count was the count, and I, I believe I really bit Bert's hair. That's where and I, then a weird you're right, Big Bird looks really nuts. He looks too thin. 
and he looks scared to be alive. And then there's a, a, a young lady and then a blue blob of a person. Oh, is that it's, Grover? It could be Grover, I guess. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's if... And they're all... Like, the thing that's creepy is Grover and Big Bird are groping themselves. And the and the Count has a... He has a purple face, like a pink purple face, right? Yeah, I mean, that's how he was born. Don't he was... Shame I mean, him. he's incredible. He's incredible. I love the fact that uh, if you stay after the credits of Sesame Street, he 100% turns those children. <laughs> What was he dining on? That's did they ever get to that in Sesame Street? How was he living? Was he ever on the blood of children? But he would also, you know, sometimes subsist on a, a cheeseburger of some sort. Typically, he would just suck the living force out of children. But I remember, I mean, his big thing obviously was counting, and that's what they used him for. But I always wondered if well, how is how was he getting around? How was he staying alive? No, counting was a parlor trick to hypnotize the young. <laughs> Well, there it is. They would become in a thrall enraptured, and he would get behind them and ins- insert his teeth into any part nearby <laughs> and suck their entire essence into himself <laughs> with a huge rager. <laughs> his... Yeah. Well, his swollen undead manness. I don't know, understand. Like, like when they, they put a vampire on the show and they're like, we're going to make it cute, it's fine. Um, it's not the only time. They also had a monster that ate cookies in front of people. But when he wasn't eating cookies, mm-hmm. he was hammering children with his fists. This reminds me of a story I saw a little bit. Speaking of vampires, it, it, just, it threw me. This unexpected story of this animal abuse. So this this dog was left on the side of the road. And they had footage of it. And he he's abandoned. And then he chases the car of his owner that abandons him. It's totally sad, right? So then his family adopted him. In the story, it's like the story of like, you know, it's supposed to be like a, a sad story that turned has a good ending. They started playing a clip of the Lost Boys and the family named him after Nanook from the Lost Boys. And I was like, that was that threw me big time. I was not expecting to see Lost Boys footage in that story. <laughs> I wish they would have showed the Lost Boys footage because they named him after uh, that. What's his face's character? Edward Herman's character. That would have right. been the best. Somebody should do a live action, completely straight faced remake of Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a vampire walking around counting things. You got a creature in a trash can, a blue entity hanging out, and then your leading characters is, is an orange and a, and a yellow man. Yeah, inexplicable. And then, of course, the that giant that giant bird. I guess big big bird must be like a rock or an archaeopatrix or something. Yeah, probably probably unearthed in a tomb. Right before the show, you know, maybe some sort of Aztec god, you know, could be, yeah. The, 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 once again, maybe the, the count diarrheaed some plasma into a crevice and it leaked into his tomb, awoken him. And we're entertaining our young forms with this. It's, it's a miracle we turned out remotely sane as humans. I always liked it when they showed his huge nest. He never got a glimpse of his home too much. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. A yeah. Gigantic nest he lived in, yeah. And I always like when they took. Oscar, they showed what he looked like inside the trash can, and it was like he had like this. I think they had, I maybe I'm imagining this, but I think he had like a huge dwelling inside that. It's kind of like the TARDIS a little bit. Anyway, let's move away from that. Get back to the brood. We get to meet Mr. Jan Hartog shortly after this because our square faced man is going on a research mission. Mm-hmm. He wants yeah. to find out what's going on with the psychoplasmics and why his wife is ridiculous. Played by and- Robert A. Silverman. 
Yeah, who has had that comb over since the 70s, still has it. Gross yeah. then, gross now. Giving a pretty fun performance in this movie, introduced in the movie by rolling left and right on a mat, sweating his ass off. While cursing. While cursing in a hotel room. And why is he doing that? He's got a disease. Well, he's a he's a victim, he says, of, of uh, Oliver Reed's character. He, he thinks that the good doctor brought out this cancer in him, which he shows our main character and it's super gross. He like takes out, he has like a towel around his neck and when he exposes his neck, it has like a huge tumor that he shows our hero. But I did love this guy's performance. I thought he was funny. He he's joining the lawsuit. They're going to sue the doctor. He needs a team of people to sue the doc. Is this after the grandfather dies? Have we no. ahead? So the, the grandfather is the next victim. So this dude's old as shit. He doesn't enjoy it, but uh, it's so funny because now he's drunk Mm-hmm. But there's a dwarf in the house. Same dwarf that killed the grandma. And he goes and back he, to the... He's he estranged. Conf- they're they're divorced. He confuses it, right? He confuses it with his wife. He he hears it rumbling around. He's you know he's uh, in the bed. And he, and he he says, is that you? And he names his, his ex-wife. No, it's not her. It isn't her. It's 100% a dwarf. It has picked up some glass baubles that are on the uh, little bureau there and smashes his head with them over and over again. Uh, bludgeons him to death. Turns that crystal into a redness. Like he's, it's very pretty. But you're finding out that when um, Samantha Eggers is con- confiding in the doctor, how much she loves her dad, but her dad didn't protect her against her mom. And she's very mad about it. She says, and she's angry. And, you know, then, you know, R- Raglan, the doctor's bringing out this rage, like he let, letting this rage out. Like he's like, just go with, you You know, basically letting her play it out. But that, so unfortunately, it, it plays out in real life into a short version of her of herself, like a mutated version of her five-year-old self that kills her family members. <laughs> yeah, she's remote controlling these dwarves out in the wild. It's pretty great. Is she remote controlling them? Yeah. I think she's just kind of, it's like almost like a wish fulfillment thing. Like she, where she's, she's angry. In session, and then it takes, you know, place in real life. I don't think she controls them. These, she's licking these kids out of her body, and yeah, that does happen. Clothes, and then they're going out into the wild and murdering in her name, which you gotta love. These kids, the brood, they all wear winter wear. They all wear like parkas and snowsuits, and um, there's a lot of them, and they all have, they all have snowsuits at the end. They, all, they have very weird faces. Mm. Um, and then what happens to that child though? Die. So the the our main character goes because he he's he's going to help the dad because dad the dad said he's going to do something he's going to go confront Raglan. So the uh, you know the main character uh, goes to he- you know to either stop him or help him to drive him at least, but he instead comes across his uh, he sees his dead body, and then, and then the, 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 the dwarf, dwarf attacks to, him, tries yeah. to phantasm that ball across the room at him. But yeah, then he dies. Him wall. Yeah, it dies. Least, yeah. Okay, and then and then of course the police show up, and one of the lamest police excuses I've ever heard. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners? He they said that we didn't. It was it's a we didn't had no idea it was the small person that did this. We checked the house. We must have not checked it well enough. We thought it was actually an Estonian music, musician. Musician. That's what they well, say. Yeah, but he says we. The reason they didn't find it because they weren't looking for anything that small. <laughs> that what he said. Well, yes. I'm sorry I didn't get it right. But then they said that they had a Estonian musician 
of course. As the as the prime suspect. Of course. That guy, that guy had to be relieved. And this leads to one of my favorite child autopsies in in film history. Well, so yeah, they're doing this autopsy on this on this um this child, this 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 whatever it is. And this coroner is like shit talking the crowd, like the room as yeah. they're watching it. Like he's like he's acting sassy. Yeah, so I got to tell you uh, he does. This is a creature that no one's ever encountered in the history of man. And so they're like trying to figure out what's going on. So he decides to give his hypothesis on the creature. Yeah. And I'd like to read his dialogue if you don't mind. If this is his idea of winging it, he fucking nailed it. Well, I found some sort of collapsed fleshy sack between the little fellow's shoulder blades. It contains traces of a solid nutrient material, a bit like the yolk sack of a certain fish or a camel's hump. Basically, it's a gas tank that was full at birth. Once the hump material is completely assimilated, I think the creature simply starves to death, runs out of gas, so to speak, and that brings us to the mass point of interest. There's an external deformity. I mean, apart from the lack of sexual organs. It's extremely subtle and extremely provocative. I wonder if any of you have noticed. Yeah, he does like a tri- like a bar trivia at the end of that speech. He goes fucking haywire. It's like he's reading off Wikipedia. This guy nailed it 100%. But he's also super proud of himself and, and acting like, you know, this is great. This is a crazy creature in front of him. But yeah, he's, and what, he's, what he's, is the last big coup de gras in his uh, assessment of the child? I mean, no belly button, baby. No belly button. So it's not a normal birth. Not the, like we know. See, that he had to explain that to me. I thought that meant it wasn't able to dance at a Moroccan restaurant. <laughs> but you, you kind of, he kind of cleared it up for me. Not a normal birth. You got that right. And they have a, like a little beak and they're all weird. I bet you they smell like David Soul. They're freaking creepies. The teacher's the next on the chopping block. Wait a minute. Are you saying she doesn't survive? He says the candy kind of like he picks up his daughter from school and then candy kind of plays a matchmaker game here and asks if we can, can invite teach over for dinner. He says to the teacher, we, yeah, you can come over. We could talk after candy goes to bed. She goes to bed at three forty-five PM, by the way, <laughs> she's going to bed real early tonight. You know what I'm saying? Yep. She's going to bed directly after school. Uh, so yeah, he invites her to dinner at his house, but then that's when he, doesn't he get called away? He gets called away to the grandpa. That's what happens. He has to go to help the grandfather who dies. But he so freaks he le- out. He freaks out his, his date. He freaks her out. Yeah. Well, then she has to babysit, which she wasn't counting on. She wanted to get laid. But unfortunately, she has to babysit. And then she gets a call from his wife. His wife starts accusing her of, a, of an affair. The teacher's reaction is that she hangs up the phone and then puts a pillow on it when it rings again. But she and does. So, she calls her the B word. And uh, yeah, she said and he then, goes. And- Playing your own version of PTA or something like that. Yeah. Right. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Right. So you're going to boogie her in the night. And then, and then when our boy comes back, she throws a super diss at him. What? Cause he, cause he wants to continue this. You know, he wants a, a chance to, you know, resume the courtship ritual. Sure. And she says, I'll see you at the next open house. And he thinks it's still on after he hears that, <laughs> but it's not. She leaves. And then the sad part is, there's the the best part of the one of my favorite parts of the movie in this this movie, well, but there's an interruption between this scene and that scene. We get to revisit Michael before that. Does this one all re kicks all the patients, but uh, Nola out of the out of the uh, building, out of the encampment? Yeah, they all have to leave because mm-hmm. things are getting weird. Dwarves are killing, and then Michael's really crestfallen. He doesn't know what to do with himself. 
well, this is what I go back and forth. This is what I love. So there's a therapy session between, you know, Oliver Reed and Nola. And he then role plays as our main character, Frank. And he's like, look, Teach and I, we're going to adopt Candy. You can still see her sometimes, but we're in love. Like he starts to like really lay ladle on this, you know, that they're romantically involved. And of course, you know, Nola is upset. And she just, she really, you know how upset she is? She says, that stinks. <laughs> it's dumb. She says it stinks. I guess it stinks enough to where she then uh, creates a rage baby that kills a teacher. But I think it's an undercut. That stinks. <laughs> I mean, all right. Teaches the crosshairs. Yeah, she's got a short fuse. We've learned this. this. Is a pretty great scene, I'd say, when the teach dies. Yeah, the creatures, they usher Candy out of the classroom and they murder the teacher with wooden mallets, which don't look heavy enough to kill, but they do in front of her entire class, minus and Candy. I, and I like the fact that they're kind of mixed in with the kids originally. They are. It's pretty great. It's like a little trick. And then the best is this kid, it witnesses all. He leaves, he flips to get help. And, you know, Frank's outside. And right. he, this kid, you know, this voiceover, you remember? No. He's like, they made her fall down. They made her fall down. Oh, and that's like right. Saying, <laughs> so it's this flat. They made her fall down. You know, it's pretty great. Do you, do you remember how they, uh, the finishing move on her dead body? They made her fall down plus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the finishing move? They cover her face with a, a drawing of pumpkin seeds. <laughs> A child's illustration of pumpkin seeds. Everybody dies, eyes open, bleeding from the skull in this. Like almost everybody does. Yeah. All the at least all the victims of the brood. They have a very they got one method, man. That's it. And then Art Hindle goes into the room and goes, I swipe left on V. <laughs> I got a I got a huge zoom here. All right. The brood's rude. <laughs> but not nice. They killed. I like the teacher. She's very charismatic. I was hoping that she would live. I thought when Frank was rushing in the classroom, that he was going to be able to save Teach. Yeah. No. No. No, no. no. There's no reason to check her pulse. She dead. That kid and comes the, in the room and says, "We've lost Teacher. <laughs> She's gone. She's gone. She fell down, and now the Charon pilots her through the underworld. <laughs> and then." We get to see a, gr- a great newspaper headline shortly after. What? Do you remember? The brood's Poli- rude. <laughs> Police seek dwarf killers. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a great shot of these little these little creatures um, walking um, old candy arm in arm down the highway. You know, back yeah. to uh, back to Soma Free. As you do, you put Nora, you put Nora up in a shack of with course. an attic. Of course you do. You know, that's part of her therapy. Put her in her shack, put some bunk beds in the attic. Oliver Reed somehow doesn't know this is really going on. Yeah. Um, by she's staying in a very um peculiar place if you don't know what's going on. Right. There's bunk beds in there. There are bunk beds. And there's a lot of snow coats. I mean your snow outfits. Who's buying those? You mentioned it in our conversation. Whoever was in charge of the sackcloth and species too, you know, and the, you know, obviously this is still David Cronenberg's divorce come to life. Mm-hmm. Everything's fucked. Uh, our hero Art, you know, follows the scent to our, to Oliver Reed, and they have a confrontation outside. And this is where you would think Oliver Reed would snap, and they'd have some sort of a skirmish. But no, Oliver Reed is blown away. 
He's my therapy's gone too far. The teach is dead. Oh my God. There must be someone must be manifesting rage babies. We got to formulate a plan. He's like, we were role playing you tapping that ass. And I don't know what happened, but I'm sorry, man. Did you, did you get it wet or she's leave? What's going on? And then, and then Hindle's like, yeah, she's dead as fuck. I got a square ass fucking head, but here we are at the cabin. Let's do something. And then Oliver's like, let me get my rope. So the plan is you, this is Oliver. He goes, you go talk to your wife. You keep her busy. You keep her calm, which seems insane because that's probably the last person she wants to see is her Mm ex-husband. He's like, you go in, keep her calm. I'm going to go up to rage baby HQ (laughs) and rescue candy from their midst. They should be calm because she's not mad. He puts that together. Right. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't go to plan. Yeah, well, you know what it's like trying to take candy from a baby. <laughs> Can't do that shit. Oliver does go up there and grab candy. And, you know, the, he's got these hissing rage babies around him. But they're not mad yet. They're just kind of looking at him. He's tiptoeing. He's taking his sweet-ass time. I'm like, get her and go. But he's just kind of doing, like, the sweet walk. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the silent shoe. He's taking his sweet time getting out of there, holding candy. It reminded me of them traipsing through the alien uh, egg field with, exactly. with Newt in tow, you know? Boom, boom. And meanwhile, Frank's downstairs blowing it. Blowing well, it. St- no, to his credit, he is doing a great job, and she's starting to buy into it. But she kind of says, well, since you're sort of into my, my thing, let me lift up my fucking skirt and show you this misshapen monstrosity on my balls. She, op- she He's like, I love you no matter what. And she goes, oh, will you? And she opens her shirt. And you're like, what? She's showing some, you know, something bad's coming. But you're just like hoping that maybe he's just seeing, maybe seeing bra. Or maybe right. seeing breasts. I don't know what he's doing. He he was hoping. Maybe he was like hoping for that too. But unfortunately, she's uh, nestling uh, a baby rage down there. Yeah, she's got ex- an, an external birth. You know, mm-hmm. the child's outside the body. Hence, no belly button. It's in and there, like embryonic like, sac, like she's cradling. It's it sucks. Well, she she's like, let me show you what I like to do. Here's my favorite thing to do, and she pulls that little creature out of that sack, and he's like, I'm still on board. And then she's like, let me lick this bloody form. And he's, he's he is to his credit, he is trying to go with it. She's like, you still love me after I do this, and she's making it hard. I mean, she's definitely making it tough to keep loving her, but he's trying. Yeah. Uh, she, meanwhile, his face is like. He's showing super gross stuff. He's like, I got this bag on a plane. Do you mind if I use it? She's like, I I disgust you. I sicken you. You hate me. She does say that. And to me, like, that's not fair. You know, like he's seen, this is maybe her at her weirdest. Cut him a little, give him a little bit of time to catch up. I would like to think so. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to think this is Tuesday for her, you know? And uh, meanwhile, Oliver Reed up there, hope crossing his fingers saying, I hope, she ain't showing that motherfucker an embryonic sack hanging off her belly. Please tell me that is not happening downstairs. Yeah. And it's happening. And yeah. uh, that's when the rage babies start going wild because she's angry. And they start trying not only to kill Aubrey and Andu, but then try to kill Candy as well. He does shoot a couple. He gets a couple. He shoots them. He, um, yeah, he shoots about two of them. One of my favorite. There's a great shot of a kid on a bed that just gets his back blown out. I thought that was a nice thing to do to that little guy. He gets a face bite. He gets a head bite. He gets all sorts of clawed. He can't make it. He can't live. He goes, "Can't you go hide in the closet? Please save yourself." She's trying to save herself. You know, yeah, he is getting okay. So let's put this in perspective. He is getting killed by a dozen 
misshapen dwarves, albino yes. misshapen dwarves, mm. beaks for mouths, and it's the second grossest thing happening in that building. <laughs> uh, you know, you think that he would, there's a window behind him. I thought he was going to pop out, you know, jump out that window. But he doesn't it totally look looked like he was going to take a whole handful mm. of those bitches out into the snow. Oliver Reed, like, at that moment, you think, there's two regrets happening, I think, in this moment. One, Oliver Reed probably, his character's like, maybe I shouldn't have started this business. And two, daddy downstairs is like, maybe I shouldn't have married this woman. Right. There, there's two regrets happening. Competing regrets, Nick. And Candy's like, well, I'm not an only child. <laughs> That's all she's thinking. So she's in a closet, and they're trying to get in like zombies. They can't wait to... They can't wait to bite her face too. And she's a little, sh- a little shining moment there. So the dad has the to finally save his daughter. He, he hears this in peril upstairs. He strangles his wife. To her credit, still clutching mm-hmm. that placenta throughout. Mm-hmm. He does strangle her. What, he looks, what happens to the baby that she licked? I don't remember. It doesn't make it. I don't think she licked it enough. Oh. I don't think she licked it to life. So it's. It I've, I've used well. that. I've used that line myself. Mm-hmm. And then I thought it was weird. Like an Evanescent song comes on. Was that something new that Cronenberg had later? Or? Happy ending, at least. Well, he what? strangles her, and all of the dwarves die. And then in his, and then Oliver Reed says, "Could you have strangled her one minute earlier?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, Oliver Reed dies with his eyes open, so you know he's dead. You don't have to get any EMT in there checking his pulse. He is done. He is off. He's off to the heaven races, Nick. He's out of there. Yeah, he's meeting and greeting everybody else that's killed in this movie. They're all there. They're in the section of heaven where people go when they get bludgeoned to death by dwarves. It's like actually then, quite a huge funny, wing. Because it's sad because I, I, you know, he was ju- he had just sort of invented Groupon, uh-huh. you know, and he had, he had gotten Summer Free on there, and their tagline was, uh, "How much are our lessons? Summer Free. The rest cost." And then he goes, "You know what? Uh, discount to anybody with a fucked up filtrum." <laughs> and he had a, he had a good business model, and then he is racing to the sky to interact with Saint Peter. I can only imagine that when he gets there, there is some splaining to do. You know what I'm saying? Did you create a, a weird cult <laughs> where babies materialize that without pussy? What? <laughs> I'm just quoting Peter. Don't, don't don't shoot the messenger. I don't understand. Like. Um... Yeah, what's going on with his business model? Like, I don't know what he's tapped into there that's that, that led to this. He has to be surprised. I want to give you a hint about his business practices. The mm-hmm. person he chose to trot out in, in public is Michael. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. He dropped the, he dropped every ball. So this movie, but, though, I, we, I know we have some good fun with it. Pretty interesting movie. I really did like it. I know that you said you think it's kind of slow, but you have to appreciate it. I do appreciate it. No, it's great. And, and you know, it's obviously more than appears on the surface. There's a lot of allegorical stuff here. Cronenberg nailing it as usual. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a hard watch. It's a weird watch. And it's very much married to its time. A Canadian 70s film, that's that's a lot to, to, that's a lot to take in. But, of course, it has a quintessential uh, 70s horror ending where everything seems good. But what happened? What happened to old Candy? What? I don't know. What did happen? She's good, manifested right? the markings that indicate she's going to be the next broodmare. Oh, is that? I didn't see that part. She's going to be licking little. Did I see that? Oh, that's right. Because she's got the things on her on her arm, right? Yeah, that's that's a little creepy. The the main brood guy, I guess one of the, I guess the the guy that played most of the brood was Felix Silla. Felix Silla, who just passed away this year, actually. What did he die from? But he's in a lot of stuff. Not 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 closeness to the roof. <laughs> He's in a lot of stuff. Is he a small thing? 
Yeah, he was, of course. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. I love that guy. He played Tweaky. Did he on Buck Rogers? Yeah. And he played, uh, was he in the Adams Family? What am I What am I looking here? He played an Ewok. He was in the Adams Family. He was Cousin It. Yeah. H.R. Puff and stuff, even. He played H.R. Puff and stuff. And, and it, not, he didn't play the character, but he was in that, which I like. Yeah, yeah. He's He, he had a long career, actually. He had four kids in his life, too. All right. He's, it's funny. That's such a di- There's a diss on his, on his IMDb page. What? They call him an actor and a stuntman. Because he's not all there. He's not a full grown. Yeah, it's a great, it's a classic, you know, deserves a criterion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the special features are a little shoddy. So, I, you know, even though this is the month where Barnes & Noble is doing their half off, guys, don't expect a host of features. Just a really nice transfer and, and a look at what Art Hindle looks like today, which is might be the third scariest thing in that cabin. So look, that buzzing sound isn't just the frogs outside Justin's cabin. It's the whirring needle of the tattoo artist cozied up in the cabin, ready to put ink to flesh, create a an effigy from the brood for your person. Justin, what are you getting put on? I was thinking about getting the bloody bobble right. that was used to kill grandpa. I don't I think I might get that. Just that. It looks a little bit like what are those things called that you shake? The snow globes? Yeah. But it looks like a snow globe that's no fun. It doesn't have any snow floating around in there. Just oh, some... so it looks like a snow globe. <laughs> So maybe I'd make it into one, the bloody bobble, and I'd put, I'd put someone in there. I put Grandpa in there, Grandpa's dead body with the bloody bobble aside his head. And there's two of them. He gets killed by two, doesn't he? I think so. They smash a skull with two of them. So I'd put both of them there. I think that's that's what I'd do. Where would you have this on you? My nose. <laughs> of course. So I've got I've got my my strap my my back strap. I've got. Like a full Michael, I've got Michael in full bloom. Uh, just w- and I, what I've done is because his eyes constantly go back and forth, like Pruitt Taylor Vince and John mm-hmm. Cusack does it too. There's a lot of actors who think that if you move your eyes back and forth, it's acting. Uh, well, and Pru- I've Pruitt Pru- Taylor Vince, though, that's a that's a um, he's got a, an issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got two googly eyes that I've that I've adhered to the where his eyes are, so that I can shake my boobs. And in the back there, his eyes are doing that shit, right? So what I do is I got a perfect Michael on my back. All the afro, like the crazy eyes, the, mm-hmm. the annoying face. And what I do is I've got two mirrors in my bathroom. I've got one in front of me, one behind me, and I've got them at an angle so I can look at my back. So what I'll do is I got Michael back there. I'll go in the bathroom, spread, you know, turn the lights on nice and bright, spread the back open, look in the glass, see the reflection, see Michael, and then I begin to self-harm. I, I can't believe you put. That's incredible that you found a, a tattoo artist that can put googly eyes on a tattoo. No, I Just, bought him. I bought him off the aftermarket, and I had him put on. So you didn't. He didn't slip him under your skin, like under like a, a tiny layer of skin. Nah, no. I I cheaped out. I went and bought. I went to a local Michaels and got oh, some googly go. eyes. There you go. So look, uh, the movie's over. Credits have <laughs> rolled, but there's more. There's a scene after the end. What happens? I got that coroner. He's at a bar and he's bragging about like how he he fucking mm-hmm. nailed it with that autopsy. And then he and he has a couple more drinks and he and he intimates with the bartender. He's like, "I winged it. That's one hundred percent fabrication. None of it's real. I made it all up. I have no fucking idea what was going on with that miniature. But I gave him a cockable story and they bought it. Took off. I was able to go to home, get some sleep, and come out here to have a big ass drink." And the guy's like, man, you're fucking nuts. And then we cut to the morgue, and he was right. Um, they weren't dead. 
They were just dormant. And all them little fuckers burst out of their uh, their trays and they land on the ground. And what they do is they go outside and they're like looking around sniffing. Then they bond into one giant, like a Voltron of dwarves, like 15 mm-hmm. feet tall. And then it just starts marching towards Toronto like we got this. Oh, like a kaiju. Yeah. Kaiju, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's a it's a dwarf, so it's a small kaiju. Kate's saying dwarf. Dwarf. Is that that's not PC, right? Is it is there something no, that midget should... midget's a dumb thing to say, but dwarf is fine. It's fine. Peter um, like Peter Dinklage calls himself a dwarf. Um all right, here's here's my here's my extended scene, okay? Mm-hmm. You see a store owner, right? He's in a store, he's like kissing the cash register. I had a core owner, you have a store owner. I like it. He's kissing, he's kissing, he's like, he's so happy, singing to himself. He jumps up, clicks his heels, puts a clothes sign on, and he says to he says to the world, he's like, opens the door, and he goes, I'm going to Hawaii, baby. You know, he's like so excited, and he closes, closes the door, locks up, gets into his car, zips away, and you see that the store is a, a snowsuit, the <laughs> snowsuit store. And he's out he's of inventory. He's had his best month ever. Yeah, yeah, he's he is just taking those profits and and headed somewhere warm, Hawaii. You know, and you see one half the building is the adult clothing completely full, but the child section empty as nut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's my the lead scene. At least that, at least you leave on a little bit of uh, or extended scene, a little bit of a happy note. You got to be happy for that guy. And then and then you the, and then you see. Uh, the security footage from the shop and you see that little dwarf signing his master charge <laughs> for the transaction. The money is cleared escrow. Your bank account's burgeoning. You've been given the ability to do your own sequel to the brood. Oh man. Cronenberg never did, but I mean, did he ever get divorced again? Maybe he would have done another one if he was twice divorced. I don't know his love life. I think, I think his second wife died. So mine's called The Brood. Cut to a, Canada's biggest beer distillery, right? Mm-hmm. And they are jumping, bustling, killing it. Yeah. And then you see who the uh, master brewer is. Mm-hmm. It's one of them little cuties with the beak. Turns out he likes hops. And it's just, it's just him running a very successful business. Little phantasm dwarf guy. You call it Strange Brood. It's called the Brood, you see. I know, I like it. And he's got oh. a and he's a cute little albino face with a cute little beer beard. <laughs> his little sack, his little air sack, just ripening as he goes, you know. And his little lack of a dick and balls, like, just doesn't get in the way of him enjoying that beer. Does he? Uh, it is a she, right? These are she's. By they're the way. asexual. Always... They're asexual. Right, but. They look like a little girl. They look like the main. They look, they look like, like Andy. I, they look like Michael uh, York to me. They don't. That's what they look like to me. They look like little Michael Yorks. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even jiving. That's Michael York shrunken. And and I would say, you know, when I think of something that's sexless, I always think a boy. A sexist. My little. sequel idea is there's a there's a newly minted detective first day on the job. It's handed this case file. It's just the whole movie is about him re-questioning everybody, trying to get, trying to understand what happened. And it's just a series of scenes where he's just questioning Frank, going over the same 
details, not understanding a thing that he's saying. <laughs> Let me get this straight. Your wife uh, gives birth to rage babies who then killed everybody in your life. I don't. You she know, controls them like a fucking drone that hasn't been invented. She licks the body of the smallest thing that comes out of her. Doesn't come out of her. Comes out you of the sack that came out of her. Oh. Strangled her before we got her side of the story. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, it's just that's what it, that would be a tough first gig, a stressful first day for sure. I'd say. And then and then the, he looks to the camera and he's got a beak. Oh shit! <laughs> Look, you're in the movie. You're in the brood. What shape does your performance take? I'm a short albino with a jacked out face. I just happen to be in town. And I'm at the grocery store in my skiing gear, shopping for milk. And I close the glass door with my milk in my hand. I look and there's eight cops standing there and they shoot me 300 times. <laughs> I wish yours was longer. Just give me a chance to think. Not the first time that's been said. I'm the, the I'm the first victim that you don't see that is not that's not written into this movie. That, that's the, the that's the first kill, the first rage baby kill. Okay. I'm a bird that shit on her head on the way in between <laughs> therapy sessions. <laughs> I don't know where I'm dropping it. I don't even know that's a poss possibility. I don't know anything could even care. I just sometimes drop it when I'm flying. It don't even occur to me that it could be offensive. Right. I'm not aiming it. All of a sudden, I'm in my nest, you know, with my baby birds, mine and my own, you know, protecting my young. And all of a sudden, I feel something climbing up the tree. <laughs> and I don't know how he does it, but he bludgeons me to death. Or it, it bludgeons me to death. And that's hard to do to a bird. You know, is it? Is it? I think it is, because I think you, you, you manage to squash not only the head, but everything else. I think literally their number one cause of death. In the animal kingdom. <laughs> when they fly into a window, I'm saying this thing is aiming at my head and, and, and over and over and smashing my head only. Oh. That's a that's a tough one. And I'm still recognizable after the smash. You know, that that's one of their hallmarks. Right. Eyes open, kind of looking into the camera. And, and the birds the birds like pointing, I have no belly button too. I will say this. I will say this in character. In front of my babies? Really? In front of my babies? And I didn't realize what's gonna happen to the teacher later. Kind of the same thing. And they I do have a name, uh, Mrs. Frizzle, the bird. Okay. Yeah. Married. Cute. Married. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Married, of course. Yeah. Divorced. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's my character. Super dead. So you have been given the financing to have your own enterprise related to the brood. What kind of business are you running? I'm starting a boy band for sure. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like, what's that guy's name that started NSYNC? Perlman Justin. or something? Something Perlman. Oh, I don't know. Um, I know Maurice Starr was in charge of the new kids on the block. I can't remember. His, he started with Lou Pearlman. Lou Pearlman. And so I started a, band, a boy band, Brood Street Boys, something like that. You know, something. Brood Street Boys, something. And I just, my my band just sings about the brood. They just sing brood songs. Every hit song yeah. is about Cronenberg's brood. Nice. That is our mission statement. And we're sticking to it. It could be songs about watching the brood. It could be about characters in the brood. Could be about Mike, Michael. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm doing. Right. I'm starting the a, a brood boys band, brood boy band. What about you? And it's not a problem if you go to if you do a concert in your brood. Perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I think you're right. What What about you? Uh, I'm going to open a very high end restaurant, 
and it's called Baby Lick. And so what we've done is we've created these really sturdy, like CPR dummy grade rubber babies. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we use this as a vessel of delivery of food. We um, slather these, these children with a concoction that is a very desirable, yummy you know, it hits all the taste buds, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we lather this this little fake rubber child with this viscous liquid that's red, delicious. And when you order it, the chef uh, comes out of the kitchen with a tray with a rubber, like super rubberized child, mm -hmm. coated in this blood machine, takes your table and you lick it, um, and then seventy dollars changes hands. Are there different toppings? Yeah, I mean they're all different blood-looking food, right? You know, so like I'm doing some, I'm doing a little French cuisine. Mm. You know, I did duck la rouge, you know, and I pureed it, pasted that rubber baby with it, and let somebody lick it, toss that little bitcoin in the dishwasher, and then slather it with the next food. <laughs> <laughs> they're reusable. Man. So just imagine thought, me pulling is... a tray out of the dishwasher and just babies. Yeah, of course. I, yeah. I can't imagine it. I, I thought this place was a dessert place, but you went high end. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Super. I'm just picturing you could put sprinkles on it, whipped cream, peanut butter well, no, sauce. Well, we have a baby bar. We have a baby bar. It's like Ruby Tuesdays. You know, you, what you do is you get a baby and then you just start baby barring yeah, it. You know, cru red crouton on the baby's forehead. No mm -hmm. sweat. You know, we have, you know, no silverware either. Right? No, you, you lick. You lick everything. Mm -hmm. It's almost a foregone conclusion. When they go into the dishwasher, they look clean. You got to smell it to know. You got to smell the baby to know. <laughs> yep. What are, what are your dipping sauces again? Do you have ranch? Red ranch. You... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's a great idea. Did you have a name for your restaurant? Baby Lick. But I think, I... I, think, I think it would also be cool if maybe the waiter was wearing a cutoff shirt, like a midriff open. And maybe yeah. he had like a, a prosthesis that he would, you know, he would tether the child yeah. to himself as he brings it to the table. Yeah. Cut it off himself. Yeah, no, plate. just, you know, just, you know, pull it with an audible pop as it comes untethered, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. gets your sense, your senses start to go into haywire town. <laughs> the sommelier winks at the uh, patron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shit's about to go down. You're about to lick this baby. And then uh, everybody backs slowly away from the table. And you hear this commotion in the kitchen. You hear the dishwasher going insane. He's like slamming things. He's too many, too many, too many babies tonight. Too many. And then the manager is furious. Yeah. He fires. He fires the chef. He's like, "This baby wasn't was licked. This wasn't clean. This was a licked one." It's like you can't put a licked one underneath my food. Talk about a place that would, if you were working there, it would suck to have like an employee discount. Like, you know, like you, you, hey, you guys eat for free here. Oh, that's all right. I'm, yeah, I brought my PBNJ. I'm good. The drinks are in babies too. Uh, you, you, you caprice on a straw through that forehead and you drink the, the internals of this little cutie. So Cronenberg approved or you don't have a sign off? <laughs> he loses. Are you kidding? He'd fucking co sign. We're going to franchise it out. Uh, we're trying to get a new world added to Epcot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people walking around the park sucking out of a baby. What's to go look like? Yeah, is that what a to go looks like? It's a it's a baby. Yeah, it's a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know the funny thing is is like you know I, obviously we've 
it's become a sensation. We have a 3D mm-hmm. printer back there, so we can make these little suckers in a, sure. in a pinch. You know, they're a little jagged around the edges, but you know, it'll still hold the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're, we're no matter how many covers we have on a given night, we're, we're able to withstand it. But I'm just concerned about people stealing the idea, really. Yeah. But look, yeah. you're floating at sea. You're on an island. You've been there for so many, so many days now. You've been gathering debris from all these various films. Now you got to take something from the brood. I like to keep myself entertained. I, I take that Sesame Street Playhouse. That's smart. I spotted it. It looked like in good condition. I, I feel like as a 48-year-old man, I I could still probably spend an hour or two playing with that thing. You know, create a story and trot those little characters through it. Like, you know, Bert's like, hey, they just opened a licking baby restaurant across the street. And now the other characters like, really? Let's go try it out. Something like that. Anyway, I need since I'm in, in, in the vicinity of your island, I need. I feel like I need more innocent stuff on my island. I, I, I hear you, but I got to tell you to the to the layperson looking through binoculars, seeing me doing my thing and seeing you playing with a Sesame Street kit, it's a coin toss. <laughs> yeah, now you put it that way. Maybe I should have taken that Happy Days lunchbox. <laughs> what are you taking? I'm going to take a father's love. To that island, you know, I'm like, listening. just a father's love. Like there's obviously Art Hingle goes through a ton for his daughter. I'm just going to take that love. And I'm going to walk up to Georgie and dangle it in front of him and say, look, and then I'll kick it into a whirlpool. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Georgie. <laughs> I'm not going to do that.